0: 98% Of you who don't know me, uh, I was born and raised here in the valley. Uh, I am married to an awesome woman. Uh, her name is Candace. I have three children a uh, five year old Corbin, a three year old Titus, and uh, we just had our first girl. She's two months old. Her name is Eve.
1: Awesome. How'd yeah. you end up here on stage?
0: Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, after God had called my name and really saved me, uh, I ended up in a church that. Um, it was, long story short, I mean, I don't know everyone's background, but maybe you can, maybe you can relate to, kind of a legalistic uh, mentality of, of church, and um, we are very, uh, I would said this in the first service, very socially conservative, but theologically liberal, so it was, don't do all these things, and not really tell you why, and um, and so basically, long story short, I, I'd spent a long stint there, and, and found my way over to redemption, and, and God has been really awesome, I opened my eyes to, to so many formats of what the gospel really is, and what it looks like, and um, so things are really good.
1: Amen. So so Sean's involved with a program that we have here at Redemption Church. Why don't you tell folks yeah, a little bit yeah. about so that? Yeah,
0: yeah. So I am currently right now in a pastoral residency program. I work part-time at a place called Tribita and, and then part-time at um, at Arcadia, the Arcadia campus. Uh, because right now my wife and I we are looking to plant, so we are one of um, your guys as Redemption Church's future um, church planners, and so we are in this pastoral residency with I am with uh, about nine other guys, and uh, things are going really, really well.
1: So, how many of you knew we had a pastoral residency program? Yeah, good, a good okay. number of this you. Half. That's that's great. Uh, one of the things Redemption Church is passionate about is, is planting healthy, gospel-centered churches, and we do that within the Redemption umbrella, and we do that outside of the Redemption umbrella, and so... Um, Sean's part of kind of a, a pilot resident, pastoral residency program that we've yeah. put together to really try to develop and train uh, healthy gospel-centered leaders because those are the people you need to plant healthy, healthy gospel-centered churches. Right. So we're super excited to have him out. He's going to open God's Word for us. Luke's still feeling uh, a little under the weather. He got nailed with a quite a quite a virus type deal this this week. So uh, Sean's graciously agreed to come out. This is for his first time out to Gateway. Yep. And yep. so uh, Arcadia is the. Complete other side of the valley from, yeah. from us here. So we're, we're super blessed to have you. Um, gosh, man, anything else that people should know? Tell us about a little bit about your dreams, hopes for the future. You said you want to plant a church. What's the time frame looking yeah, like for that? Yeah, I mean,
0: um, our, our goal is, is hopefully to plant uh, sometime in 2014 and all that's kind of up in the air. We go to an assessment in Portland in May, which actually uh, Luke is, is coming with my wife and I. Um, and then where in the valley is still kind of TBD, but at this point, we're, we're hoping to plant maybe on the west side. Um, that's kind of where some conversation's gone, but nothing is uh, for sure, but that's, for the most part, the direction we look like uh, we're, we're heading towards. Cool.
1: Well, we are really excited. You are in for a treat for Sean to open God's Word and uh, and preach out of Romans chapter 1, yeah. so let's pray for him. Let's pray for what God has in store for him. If you bow your head. We're going to pray. Uh, God, we thank you so much for uh, the grace that you have given to Sean, to his family. God, thank you for the way that you change our, our hearts from the inside out, God. Um, we, we pray for this man. We pray that you would use him to do great things for your kingdom. God, we pray that, uh, that he would be a faithful uh, teacher of your word. And, Lord, we pray for his future church, the future church that he'll, he'll lead. We pray for um, just blessing upon that, that they would be a, a wonderful blessing to their community and that many, many hearts would uh, come to recognize the freedom and joy that is found in Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Would you all let Sean know you're glad he's here? Yeah. That's great. Thank Thanks, man. Hey, let's stand up. We're going to read uh, God's word. can grab your Bibles and uh, turn to Romans chapter 1. We are in our series here on uh, Romans. If you've got one of the black hardcover Bibles that the, the guys handed out earlier, that's on page 939. We're in Romans chapter 1, and uh, we'll be reading verses 16 and 17. Let's go ahead and find that, Romans chapter 1. And as we read, we are reading God's Word. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is God's word. You can have a seat. Amen. Thanks, Matthew.
0: Um. I want to start off by saying I very much am excited to be here. Um, what I hear about Gateway, uh, that you guys are doing not just children's well, uh, youth well, but, but to be honest with you, you guys are doing families really well. Um, and I've heard a lot about you. And, and the thing is, um, I know where you are for the most part from what I've heard. So, so let me tell you a little bit about myself. Um, because you know where I am now, obviously in the valley and and what we plan to do, but if I can give you some context of of where I'm coming from and my home dynamic, you'll you'll kind of understand why I'm excited to hear what's going on here in Gateway. Uh, Growing up, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, Both my parents uh, growing up were meth addicts, uh, drug addicts, and so for the the majority of my childhood, um, I was homeless, whether that be living in a car, um, uh, kind of going back and forth to to different hotels we could sneak into, uh, living on porches, staying on mountains, whatever it is, um, that was kind of what that looked like, Um, and, and a big part of that was essentially my mom kind of had her uh, boyfriend and my dad had uh, his girlfriend. They were, they were never married. Um, so they're never going to fight over custody because they're both drug addicts. So the uh, courtroom is the last place they want to be. Uh, and so uh, essentially what happens is because of that, I'm just kind of back and forth with, with either of them. Now, um, I'm in junior high, right? And so my mom is, is at the time doing meth. And, and I don't know if you know a lot about meth addicts. Um, so, so they are uh, go-getters to say the least. Um, and my mom one day decided she was going to build a car. Now there's not YouTube where you can just, you know, bust it out and, and learn how to build a car. So she um, uh, looks into books. She's not a mechanic. And she just busts, busts out this this Datsun straight up. She gets spray paint, paints it pink, and it's like done. Okay. Um, this happens in like two weeks. Okay. So it's like okay, you're definitely on drugs. And, um, and so, so, uh, I'm, I'm done with finishing my seventh grade, my, my, you know, junior high and between junior high right now. At the end, my last day of, of, uh, seventh grade, I, I come home and my mom says, we're going to go drive to Texas to see your aunt and uncle. Okay. And we're going to drive in the car I made. I'm like, at the time, I mean, I'm not, you gotta, I'm like 12 years old. and I'm thinking, good Lord, we're going to die. um, and so we get in this car, and the car literally breaks down as we land, uh, as we roll into to Granbury, Texas. Uh, you probably have never heard of it. Uh, the car breaks down. I don't know where that thing is to this day. Um, but, but we break down, and we meet with my aunt and uncle, and we stay there. Now, here's the thing. As, as I, we stay there this summer, uh, that summer, the summer's kind of wrapping up, and I've got to get back to school, right? So... My mom uh, and my mom's boyfriend at the time, as we stay with my aunt and uncle, um, they have to generate some revenue. And so, what this looks like for them is, uh, for a long time, they've manufactured meth, and so they start manufacturing meth where we're at. So they start making it. And I'd been in a couple drug busts in in my life, and this was going Texas style because everything's bigger in Texas. We're talking one day uh, I'm out playing with my brother and sister. I have a younger brother and sister, and we're just talking the whole arsenal, like. Uh, you know, uh, helicopters, big old trucks, tanks, no tanks, but it was pretty serious. Um, and so so they kind of roll in, and uh, they basically take my brother, my sister, and I, and we go to a foster home. And uh, my mom, she gets 10 years in prison. Uh, she ends up serving five, and my mom's boyfriend gets 55 years in prison. Um, and, uh, and, and he took the, the, the whole thing there. Now, here's what happens. We go to a foster home, and my dad is in jail at the time in, uh, in Phoenix. He's here. And so he, when he gets out of jail, he comes and gets me out of the foster home, but he can't get my brother and sister out because they have a different dad, and their dad is in prison for murdering someone. So welcome to my family tree. Um, and so, um, so so, my brother and sister have to stay there. My dad comes and gets me, and we come back to the valley here. I ended up going to Shea Middle School in, in Shadow Mountain uh, High School. At this time, I had a really good buddy. Uh, Eric, who's a firefighter currently in the city of Phoenix, uh, who, who has, was staying the night one summer. He was staying with me a couple of weeks for, uh, for the summer between my freshman year in high school and my sophomore year. And here's why I say that. Because uh, one night we were playing video games and, and his mom had died two years prior. And she was like, she knew a lot of the Christian story. She knew a lot of the Bible. Um, but she was a meth addict at the same time. And so she'd like tell the stories. She'd be intense about telling the stories. And um, one night we got done playing Twisted Metal. Word up. Okay. Anybody? Twisted Metal? Okay. Um, so we got done playing Twisted metals about 3 a.m. And uh, we lay down and and he asks me, um, hey, Sean, do you think we're going to go to heaven? Okay, and I'm like, duh, we just beat Twisted Metal. Um, <laughs> so so we, uh, we finish there, We finish, and, and he asks, finished Twisted Metal, we're laying there, and he asks me this question, hey, do you think we're going to go to heaven? And of course, my, my response is, yeah, I think we're going to go to heaven. And he begins to unpack um, some stories that his mom had told him out of the book of Revelation, okay? And he just begins to tell me scorpions the size of men, blood's gonna uh, the moon's gonna turn to blood like Jesus is gonna come down and blood's gonna run in the streets and he's just going going his mom had told him all these things right and he's like all right good night man I'm glad we're going to heaven I'm like yeah me too okay so I don't sleep that night I'm like bro wake up we're going to church okay so we get up that morning, we go to look for a church, and we couldn't find one, so um, we end up going that night, this, this small little church, maybe 25 people are in it, we go to this little night service, super hyper charismatic, we roll in, and uh, it's maybe 20 people in the room, I'll never forget it, there's this lady up front, long white hair, her name was Grace, and we, we I remember, because we kept making like snickering jokes, like, Grace, in your face, like she was yelling, she was like going at us, very charismatic, sometimes people get up and like wave a flag, I'm like, what is going on, Okay. And, uh, and, and so I don't know what, what happened, right? But at the end of that service, um, I remember Grace, uh, man, basically presenting the gospel. And, 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 and whatever happened that night, um, I find myself up at the front, okay? And I had taken who knows how many showers. I mean, I'm a teenager, so probably not many. But I had taken a lot of showers in my life at that time. Um, but I'd never felt clean on the inside, and, and I don't know what, what happened, right? But uh, we, it was about a block from my house. As we walked home, I felt like I was floating. And, and maybe theologically, I can kind of walk through what happened now. But um, my story, I want to stop there because these two verses that we're going to go through explains what happened. It, it fully explains what happened. Now, Luke has given me the awesome privilege to go through these two verses, and let me tell you why these two verses are so incredible. Martin Luther, um, a, a, a lead, leader in the, the Reformation, says that when he read and studied these verses in his writings, he said that I felt like they were a doorway unto paradise. He said when he, fe- when he read them and studied them, he felt reborn. Okay, In these two verses, it sums up the entire book of Romans which is good news for many reasons. One is you probably don't have to come to church for another year and a half because I'm going to explain Romans today. Um, but but the, other, the other reason is ultimately because we get to see big picture what Romans is going to look like, and we're going to go into over and over and over all of these things, and it's going to come back to these two verses. It's going to be about these two verses. Now, what I want to do to get into these two verses is, is maybe a little different, maybe be from uh, left field because I know maybe for some of you, you've come today and you're just excited to get through this so you can watch the Masters or LeBron uh, work the Bulls, and I'll do my best to hurry, but um, we, we got to really hit these as, as what they are, and I don't want you just to go into cruise control, okay? Um, hear what's going to be said, um, and, and, and my goal in the midst of this is that you would hear um, not just what Paul wrote, by the pat, but the passion in which he wrote it, okay? For some of you, you know this story. Because up to this point, last week you heard um, how Paul's excited to come. He's so excited to be encouraged, to encourage, back and forth. He's excited to come preach. He's excited to come share. He's excited to be with these people. And more than anything, he's excited to present and, and, and be and show and live out the gospel. And then today, we get not just what he wants to do when he gets there, which is talk about the gospel, but hear me, why? 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 Like, what happened in that moment? And and, and coming from left field, here's what I would say. Um, In the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul's making this plea for for an offering. And and I'm not going to take an offering right now. Um, Paul's making this plea for an offering in chapter 8. And he's saying, hey, listen, I I want you to give. And and here's his motivation. I don't want you to give because I'm an apostle. I don't want you to give because you have to. I want you to give in verse 9 because of the grace that has been given to you. In in Ephesians chapter five, husbands, hear me, you're called to love your wives because Christ has first loved the church, you. So you are called to love because you have been loved. In 2 Corinthians five, we're told to live on mission, to to talk to people about Jesus Christ because we have been given. And so there's this woven in type of uh, theology that Paul's trying to get at. And it's this, the moment you become a Christian, everything is reactive to God's grace. Everything you do is reactive. I see the beauty of the cross, and that makes me want to do. And Paul is plunging, like pushing us into this idea. And my question over and over is, what on earth is it about this gospel that makes us want to do that? Like, what is it about this gospel? And and the only thing that I I know to do is, is to share that story with you. And, and for maybe, I don't know, maybe most of you, this is the hundredth time you've heard this, thousand times you've heard this. Maybe for some of you, this is the first time you heard this, but here's what I want to do I want to tell you the, the real story of the world, the true worldview that you need to walk in, and then let Paul unpack why it's important. Because the centerpiece at this main table, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And so, so hear me be in this story. In the very beginning, here is a perfect. Selfless, sufficient God. He has everything, He needs nothing, and He is awesome. And He decides to create. Now now you gotta understand what happens in the Trinity in this moment, like dialogue, because it's like I want to create creating. So like you can go and like create a picture or, or do something with like popsicle sticks. He had to create creating first. You tracking with me on that? Like the dude's like, you know what I want to do? I want to create creating. And like, Jesus is like, yeah. And the Holy Spirit's like, okay, fine, let's do it, okay? So they create creating, okay? I don't know if that's how the dialogue went within the Trinity. Hopefully I don't get struck by lightning right now. Um, so, so they create creating. And in that, once they create creating, they begin to create. And, and, and there's unbelievable amounts of things that happen. But here's all I need you to hear right now. In that moment, God creates you. God creates me, and he creates us in his image, and here's the trick to all this. He creates us in such a way that we will only be satisfied when we are found in him, as Augustine would say. Like Ecclesiastes 3.11 would say, eternity is stored up in our hearts. So here you are on your way. God is making you. And before you go out, uh, Psalms 139, 13, and 14, you say that he knit you together in your mother's womb. He formed your inward parts in utter darkness. Before you go out of the womb, he says, whoa, wait a minute. Here's a hole, a gap that can only be filled with me. And you will only be satisfied with me. And so in this moment, we are created beings to find our complete joy in God. And what happens next is, man, the theological implications can be unpacked for days, but all I need you to know is in that moment, man chooses not God. Be in this story with me. He chooses not God, and everything's messed up. And hear me, everyone knows it. Like, how many of us have lost a relative? have been hurt, have felt pain. We have felt that creation is not right as sin has seeped in by man choosing not God because we are to be satisfied in him over and over and over again. And the implications of our life, we feel it, man. You're going to die someday. Romans 5.12 says that sin entered the world through one man, death through sin. In this, all men die because all sin. You sin, you are going to die someday. This is all a part of the brokenness that, that is man choosing not God. And here's the trick, right? Because in this moment, God, uh, man sees that, that it's broken. Like, like it's broken within himself. He feels shame. Like him and creation, it, it's, the relationship's not the same. He looks at his like, wife and it's not the same. Broken. And then him and God, it's not the same. And everything's kind of messed up. And he wants things to be right. And hear this, God does he try. Like he just tries to make things right over and over and over again. But he cannot get it right. He just can't fix this thing. And, and, and now we see God in this moment, what we would see as a dilemma, right? Because we see this like there's punishment. So, so God absolutely positively is just. And you feel the weight of that. No one is rolling into your house, killing your spouse and children, and then getting caught, standing before the judge and saying, Judge, I am so sorry. And the judge looks down and says, Okay, you're right. You're sorry. You can go. No one looks at that judge and says, that's a good judge. No one. Because you are created by a creator who is just. So you are created in his image to feel and long for justice. But at the same time, and here's this dilemma that we at least would see, he's absolutely merciful. Like He's so unbelievably merciful. So he sees man who cannot fix it. And he's trying to do it, and he just messes up, and, and, and he's forgiven, and he messes up, and he's forgiven over and over and over again. And so there has to be punishment. There has to be justice. But God is absolutely merciful. So man has to be punished. So he says, I'll become man, and I'll take the punishment. Justice and mercy at the same time. So he sends his son, to, to experience and feel the weight of this. And I know that a lot of you guys know this story, but here's this man, Jesus Christ, who comes to the earth. He feels the weight of losing a friend. He feels the weight of being betrayed by a friend. He feels the weight of, in his, in his hardest moment where he's bleeding blood, one of his disciples runs away. He feels that. His beard is pulled out. He is whipped, and then he is put on the cross for that sin justice, mercy, and what happens is so unbelievable. I think we pass over it all too easy. In this moment, here's the perfect picture of the cross, and standing at the cross, at the base of the cross, looking up at Jesus Christ, is the harlot who has slept with more men than she can count, is the man, the tax collector, who has stole uh, embezzled more money than you could ever imagine, And at the same time, the man who has fasted uh, more times that week than he has not, the man who has the Bible memorized, the man who did Awanas, the man who's perfect attendance, who doesn't listen to secular music, that man is also standing at the base of the cross. And both of them are making the declaration, everything I've done to this point, it has all been taken from me. Both my good in this man and both my bad in this person have all been taken from me. And that's the gospel story. And hear me, no one knows this better than the Apostle Paul, for he was both at the same time. He had the Bible memorized. The dude fasted. The guy prayed. And at the same time, he was a a hater of what the Christians were doing. He was a murderer. He was, as he calls himself, a chief sinner. And he's standing at the base of the cross and he sees it. And in the midst of this, he makes this declaration, um, being moved by the gospel um, over and over. He makes this first declaration in verse 16 I am not ashamed of the gospel. And if you could be in this moment, hear me, because the Jews don't like this. So here's the Jews don't like this because that story I just told, that narrative I just explained, the Jews don't like it because, well, a Savior would be crucified. And the Greeks don't like it on this side because a Savior would be resurrected. So both as postmoderns, they, they don't like it because Jesus is the only way. So no matter what happens, says, listen, I can't win for winning here, but I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And here he's not saying he's not ashamed of himself in this. Matter of fact, um, you don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll read for you. In, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, um, verse 23, this is what he says for the gospel's sake. He says, if I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonment, with countless beatings and often near death, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less than one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was drift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in, to- in uh, toil, in toil and hardship, through uh, many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure, and apart from all these things, there's the daily pressure of my anxieties for all the churches. So he's saying, "Listen, I've been through it, man, and this is all for the gospel." He's the same man that writes in First Corinthians chapter eight, uh, verse eighteen, that I am not a, or that he says uh, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So, so you got to see, like him feeling the way of this, he's like making this like. Like, if looking like a fool is cool, then consider me Miles Davis. Eh, Billy Madison, never mind. Um, so, so he gets it, and he's walking in and he is not ashamed of it. So to the why. What makes him not ashamed of it? Because he has experienced the full power of not being ashamed of the gospel because it is the power, it is the power of God unto salvation. This is where I need you to listen to me, okay? It is not You. You did not pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You did not make your way. You were not smart enough. You were not good enough. And gosh darn it, people like you, at the end of the day, you did not do this. Like, you didn't save yourself. And let me, so, um, maybe some of you guys know the, president, the, the story of President Garfield, where essentially he's 200 uh, days in office and he gets shot. And when he gets shot, um, uh, basically, what happens is a doctor who arrives on scene and, and checks out the infection and or looks, or looks at it to see what 's going to happen and cause an infection because he doesn 't wash his hands. Um, tries to give him some liquor, which was always the answer back then, and um, so he 's kind of working on him, working on him, working on him. And another doctor comes and has to probe in there and opens up the gash wound. Eventually, this tiny little bullet hole is some 19 inches wide. Uh, He has unbelievable amounts of infection, and he ends up dying. They later find out that the bullet was in a place where he would have been perfectly fine. It's because of the doctors fiddling around with the wound, trying to fix it themselves that he dies. And for us to to remember that this is not us. My son, who's who's five, last year... um, he was four, knew the math, um, he, we are reading through uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible, and uh, we, we are in Genesis, and um, we're to the story where Satan comes and he tempts um, uh, Adam and Eve, right, with the, the apple, he gives Eve the apple. And Corbin uh, makes this declaration, if I was, he's into superheroes, he thinks he's like Luke Skywalker right now, and I always have to show him that I'm a better lightsaber. Uh, he, uh, he, he says, if I was there, I would have punched Satan in his face. And I was like, whoa, okay, bring that in, okay? Okay. Um, But more than that, I was like, let's, let's calm it down for a second. And I had to explain to him, listen, Corbin, at the end of the day, if you were put in a ring with Satan and it was just you and it was just him, he would destroy you. Like, hear this. He is so much more powerful than you. He is stronger. And hear me, he is better at this game than you are. You got, what, 30, 40, 50 years on this thing? Dude's been around a long time. But if you have Jesus Christ in your corner, he will fight the battle for you. So for me to try to train into my son from a very early age, Corbin, it's not you doing it, man. It's not you who saves yourself. It's the power of God. And and what's crazy, it's the power of God for anyone who believes. Like, you have faith on this. It's it's not you doing this. And then it makes this little statement, right? This weird statement that we, we don't really know what to do with. Um, it says, uh, uh, to the Jew first, or some of you say for the first, for the Jew, and then for the Gentiles, or some of you guys would say for, some of yours would say for the Greek. And, and here's what, what's crazy about this. Um, this this sentence is gonna come up a lot while we're in Romans, and it's gonna be ultimately unpacked in Romans chapter 11. But I think by, we'll chalk this one up for God's grace and his sovereignty and that. This is a perfect example. So in that narrative, let's go back to that narrative. Be in it with me here for a moment. In this narrative, you have these people trying to get it right. Well, well here's what happens. After the fall, God chooses, in Bible 101, here. Maybe you know this. Uh, God chooses these people called the Jews, the Israelites. He selects them and says, you're going to be my people. And it's not based on what you've done. It's not going to be based on what you're going to do. I'm making it a covenant. And a matter of fact, he makes a covenant in such a way that the man who makes a covenant with God falls asleep. Like God puts him asleep and says, this is me. This is not you. And so he makes this covenant with Israel and says, it's based on everything that I do. So much so that when God is pulling out, you know, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, whoa, whoa. Okay, you know that whole thing? Okay, so he's pulling out the Israelites. He says, I will save you. In Exodus 14, 14, this is so great. He says, all you have to do is be quiet. Just don't talk. That's all I need you to do right now. It's like a drive Just shut up and I'll get us there, okay? Like he says, all you have to do is just be quiet be silent and I will save you. I will rescue you. And this is, this is Israel's MO. Like over and over, they, they try to stray from God. They, they serve idols. They try to do it themselves. And God says, no, salvation is found in me. And then you know what Romans um, chapter 11 says? We are grafted into that same salvation. Salvation based on God and God alone first to the Jews, and this is why John uh, chapter 4 verse 22 says that salvation came through the Jews, that ultimately God showed his way through salvation through the Jews, and now we walk in that same unmerited, we can't earn it, salvation. God's good. He's so good. Verse 17 says, for in it, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Okay, so, so let me, because let me, this is where we're going to take a, a, a turn, and I need you church folk to hear me real quick, okay? How do you have been going to church, and you got that, you know, the golden star, and because you, you had perfect attendance last year, H- hear me real quick, okay? Um, your righteous moment was not found um, in anything you've done, okay? Your righteous moment was not found the moment you didn't watch Harry Potter, your righteous moment was not found in you fasting for a couple days. Your righteousness, most righteous moment, the righteousness of God, the power of God, and all of that was not found in anything you've done. It's all, it's all revealed through the gospel, the moment you chose to believe. And, and here's the, the trick to this, because um, I, I said, like, I just kind of skimmed over to everyone who believes, and uh, look at me, I'm fancy, I know Greek, but, but hear me for a minute, okay? Um, in this moment, it's, a, it's a, something called a participle, and, and the, the tense it's in is, some, is a continuous action from a first action. So it's reciprocal. Something happened. Like, the righteous shall, the righteous shall live by faith, which we're going to get into in a second. Like, from faith to faith, over and over, starts with this idea— to him who believes, believe that one moment, and something has continued to happen. Over and over, you have continued to believe. Why is this important? Because the gospel doesn't just save you from, from hell. Like, man, some of you guys, like men, hear me. Like tonight, your, your family's gonna be to bed, and you're gonna scamper on over to the, to the computer and, and, and look at some things you shouldn't be looking at. Okay? In that moment, um, you can't beat it. Ephesians 2 would say that, that uh, by nature you're a child of wrath. Uh, Jeremiah 17.9 says that your heart is naturally wicked. You can't beat this. Like, within your nature, you're, you're, you're right now, you're destined to fail. You tracking with me on that? Like, like do, you, do you understand what I'm saying? The only way to do this is to continually be reminded of the gospel, to go back what I said in the beginning, to allow it to be reactive. To say, God, I, I want to fight sin, but remind me why. I want to I beat this thing. I want to flee from it. Remind me why. Because all of that, all of that action, all of your righteousness is wrapped up in, it is revealed in the gospel. And, and because of that, it's from faith. For faith, and here's the trick in all of this. I kind of summarized and went over that very first word. There's a three-letter word in most of your Bibles, um, and it's the word "for" that starts in verse 16. And up to this point, I'd said that that as we learned last week, Paul has been very excited. He's been uber excited to come share, come talk, to be encouraged, to encourage over and over. We hear this. I can't wait. And what does he say? I'm excited to come to preach the gospel. Who's he talking to? He's talking to saints these men and women already love God. I'm excited to bring the gospel to you even though you already have the gospel. I'm excited to remind you of the gospel even though you already have the gospel. That it's not you, but you are looking at the cross and maybe you're in this room right now and and you are that person who says, I'm not good enough. Like I'm broken. You have no idea what I've done. You have no idea what I plan to do. And maybe some of you would think that you can tote yourself around because you have done something that God is like, wow, that's a super Christian. But at the end of the day, you stand before the cross of Jesus Christ found in the gospel and simply say, everything that I have, everything that I've done has been taken from me. This is the passion by which Paul is trying to come at you with. This is what Paul's so excited to do. And, and in the end, the righteous will live by this. You will live and walk by faith. Uh, by way of maybe example, I'll share a story with you. To the truth of it, I have no idea, but if we can see it as a parable, if nothing else. But you to imagine that um, there's a husband and wife who uh, buy a, a brand new pickup truck, and I'm talking one of those pickup trucks that doesn't have like the cup holder in the middle. I'm talking like the one long cabin one. It's cup holder ones nowadays, like man, put the thing between your legs and just dry. It. That's how you roll, okay? Um, so it's <laughs> not mm, totally pointless to say that. Um, so not one of those, but we got a full bed truck, and they buy this brand new, brand new truck, and they are so in love. They've just been married. They bought their first car. They got a, a house in the country, and every single day when they drive into town, she's snuggling up against him as he drives, and he's feeling cool. You know what I mean? Like, um, they didn't wear seatbelts, okay? Um, so, so he's just doing this thing, and they're so in love, and it's awesome. And, you know, month after month, year after year, time kind of goes on. And one day they're, they're driving. It's 20 years later, and they're, they're driving into town. The truck's kind of beat up at this point. And, and the girl's just sitting there. She's on the other side of, the, you know, the, the, the truck. And she's just sitting there, and she thinks to herself, and she says, Honey, you, you remember when, uh, when we were first married? I, I'd snuggle up against your arm, and I, I'd hold you real tight. And, like, as we drive around, and he's sitting there, he said, Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. And she says, whatever happened to that? Whatever happened to those, those days? And he sits there for a little bit, and, bit and as they pull into the, uh, the store, and he sits there and thinks a little bit, and he just looks at her, and he says, honey, i got to be honest. I've never moved. And the truth is, if, if nothing else, by way of parable, we can see that here is the truth, the sanctifi- sanctification that's found in the gospel. Hear me remembering that night that even though I'm from a drug addict family that I'm from brokenness that I lived in a foster home that that everything that my past would tell me that I walk into a small church with a a white-haired lady up front screaming and God would save me And remembering that I floated home because the grace of God had overwhelmed me. And from that moment, my propensity every day in my heart has been to to pry myself from that. My flesh is always trying to earn grace or trying to be sinful. And all he says is, Sean, I've never moved. I'm here. Grace has always been here. Always believing on me. Always having faith on me. Living in, walking in, and trusting on that. And that's the way the righteous are to live. That's where your righteousness is found. If you're here this morning, and uh, this is the first time you've heard that, and and man, maybe this is uh, the first time you've, you've needed to be reminded. Here's what I would say. No matter what Satan has told you, no matter what you feel, no matter what you think, you need to understand that the chief sinner, a man who killed people. A man who was a hater of the things of God used, God used that man to write the words that he's trying to proclaim to you now. This is God's MO, man. You are, you are not so far that God cannot save you. Like, like you hear me on that. Like God's deal is to take men who who were were stuttering imbeciles, who were men who were were committed adultery, men who looked down and said I want men who saw sorcerers, uh, gosh, men over and over who complained, who whined. He took these men, these sinful, ungodly men, and he made them godly. You're not the exception. He loves you, and on the same side. And if you're sitting in here this morning thinking that your perfect attendance is going to get you into heaven, please hear me. You're not the exception. Your righteousness, the power of God, is found in the gospel and the gospel alone. That's it. That's all you have in your corner. You can't beat Satan. Have Jesus fight that battle for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful we are awestruck. God, I pray for those who are in this place this morning that um, (laughs) they'd remember what fireworks look like. As a kid, we're so awestruck with what they look like. And as we get older, we just don't even care anymore. I I would pray that you would remind us of what what happened that night to me, that you would remind the people out there what happened to them the moment you called their name, that we would be wooed back to you. At the same time, Christ, I pray for anyone who's out there who does not feel like they are worthy or good enough, and that you would remind them that they're not, and that you love them anyway. We cling to you. We desire to live by faith, to walk in righteousness that's found by your power. May these verses propel us into understanding what you're going to teach us about our depravity, what you're going to teach us about um, your people, What you're going to teach us about ourselves. More importantly, you. God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. You guys, thanks, Sean.